Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Nice to see you all. Really, really good to be here at Life Changes Tableview. Um, very, very excited to be here. Privileged to worship together. If you are new, as Rob already mentioned, we wanted to say so glad that you cho- chose to come and be a part of our gathering this morning. You are so welcome. You actually are the people that we're doing church for. If you're new and you're checking out this Christianity thing and wondering, who are these people who sing karaoke at a screen on a Sunday morning? If you as a person, you're investigating that and going, what is going on here? It's a bit strange. I want to say we're so glad that you're here because for us in this city, we desire to be a church for those who don't go to church. That's who we want to exist for. We don't want to do church for church's sake, just to be another church. Our city doesn't need another one of those. We don't want to try and be uh, the best church in the city. We want to be the best church for the city. We want to be a people who love the city. And with that in mind, we, we launched in the last week, on Tuesday, our life groups, and they launched for the first time ever. The, the preaching series started on a Tuesday. So if you missed that, you're already a little bit behind this morning. But don't feel any guilt or, or don't worry, I'll bring you up to speed quickly. But we're starting a series called Love Thy Neighborhood. And we're so, so excited this because, uh, and I wanted to say, if you're not in a life group, if you're here this morning, you're saying, actually, I come to church on Sunday, but I'm not plugged in and knitted into a life group, make sure this is the year that you get plugged in. Join one. Don't, don't hesitate. Don't stay on the, on the sidelines any longer. You can find any life group that's anywhere in the city close to you on our website, lifechanges.org.za, or straight after, find the guys in the yellow shirts. We're the yellow shirt brigade. Anyway, there they are upstairs. Malcolm and Barbara, they will be outside and they'll be able to help you find a life group that suits you. But I want to encourage you, get in one because we really believe that big things happen in small groups. We believe again that circles are better than rows. We don't want to just do monologues. We want to do life together. And we can't do that in just big groups like this once on a Sunday. So I want to encourage you, step out of your comfort zone, get part of a life group because that's where everything is happening and your life will change. How rude of me, my name is Gabe Phillips. And uh, I am married. I like to tell myself that every now and again, just to remind myself. God has been good. Yeah. But I'm married to the most amazing girl called Fiona. She is pregnant, and I promise you, the more she grows, the more she glows. And I'm also uh, moonlighting for riding cars for Hallmark. But anyway, that's just uh, on the side. But I just want to tell you that uh, we are doing so, so well. We're expecting our first little baby girl in uh, just around eight weeks. And I promised myself that I'll never be that dad. You know, you know the one I'm talking about, the one who shows you, hey, have you seen the photos of my, my child? Look how amazing my child is. You know? I was like, I don't want to be one of those dads. But I lied to myself. Look how amazing she is. My goodness. Hey, have you ever? She's got her father's eyes, eh? Oh. I don't know if you can see it from your vantage point, but if you look closely, you'll be able to see some, the hints of some ginger coming through. The Lord has been very kind. She's coming to a theater near you, an operating theater in March. Um, so very, very, very excited about that. Gifts are welcome. Great. <laughs> Enough of the intro. Uh, We're going to read a scripture together today. It's going to be on the screen. I'm going to ask us to do something different. I know we've been up and down a little bit, and you're thinking this is a Zumba class. No, it's church. But I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. Because why? I believe that preaching is not a spectator sport. 
I'm not here to dance for you, to perform with, for you. I'm here saying, would you engage with the Word of God today? We believe that spectating is not good. We are participators in the, in the gospel. And actually, we want to sta- I want to stand and read the Scripture because we believe the Word of God is the highest authority in our lives, the highest authority in this church. So I'll ask you, would you do the privilege with me to stand? We're going to read short Scripture, and then we'll be back down. It's found from Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 to 10. It's from the message version, so it may look a little different to the one you're reading at the moment. But this is how it goes. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. Don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. Travel light. Let's pray together quickly. Father, I thank you this morning. As we preach your word, I thank you that you're going to awaken the sleeping giants in this church. You're going to awaken your army. You're going to awaken us to the wonders that you're calling us to. Fathers, I also pray, I thank you, God, that you would forgive Liverpool's defense and help us start winning a few games. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen, amen. As you see, sitting very quickly this morning, we are excited to preach, and I'm excited to get stuck into what God has got for us. It's really good. If you didn't know, God is a Liverpool fan. Just saying, you heard it here in church, so it must be true. Now I can repent, eh? Good. Church is a fun place to be on a Sunday. But I grew up in Zimbabwe, as I've mentioned probably a million times, but I like to tell you that and labor that point. But in the 90s, we were graced our television channel. Yes, we only had one channel, ZBC. And uh, it was graced with an Australian soapy that used to grab our hearts. And when we heard that iconic theme song, we would run from every corner of the house as the, the, the show called Neighbors would come on. Does anyone know it? Are you all ready? Neighbors, everybody loves good neighbors with a little... Oh, come on, guys, who's singing with me? Come on, guys, eh? Just a friendly wave to start your day. Neighbors, sorry, I apologize, I apologize, I'm just indulging myself. Neighbors, well, that song grabbed our hearts and we ran, we went and watched this TV show. Please give me, just tell me, am I not alone here? Hey, anyone, watch that show, Neighbors, classic, classic show. Oh, lots of drama in the 90s. But I want to tell you, this whole concept for us of love thy neighborhood has grabbed our hearts. And I, and I grew up with this, this theme song in the back of my head. And we were always aware in Zimbabwe, and, a, and those who live in a type of small town mentality, of who your neighbors were. And we've had some interesting neighbors over the years. Interesting, I use that word uh, quite lightly. But um, first of all, there was uh, two come to mind. The first was those who lived next door to us who owned a pair of Rottweilers. One was named Sheba, who terrorized every cricket game we played. But they, um, they chewed every last rugby ball, soccer ball, and tennis ball that we mistakenly hit over the wall. And uh, those two Rottweilers eventually got bored of the, the, the ball sports that we were playing and made their way into our rabbit hutch and devoured poor little Fluffy. Still quite a painful memory. Those neighbors were great. 
But we were very glad when they moved along with their Rottweilers. We had another one. My favorite ones that take the cake are the neighbors that we live next to in Durban, and we shared a flat with. And there was a husband and wife there, and unbeknownst to us, they had been having a bit of a tiff. So much so that she had taken his keys away and told him, you're not to come back. We did not know that, though. And he arrived at sheepishly at our doorstep one day and said, I'm high. I've lost my keys and locked them in the house. Can you let me climb in your ceiling and climb across into my house to get them? And what can I say? We were the people who said, neighbors, everybody looks good. Neighbors. So he said, come on in. My dad launched him on his shoulders, pushed him open the, the, the skylight and the ceiling, pushed him into the ceiling. And my dad was like, what a good deed. Done for the day. Just loving and serving our neighborhood, just like Jesus would. And uh, I remember my dad would went to, to back to the bedroom to talk to my mom. He got back into bed with her, and they got the crossword puzzle out and just like, oh, chuckling with each other, saying, what a silly story. And before the words came out of my mouth, my mom's mouth, she said, I hope he remembers to walk on the beams. Before she even finished that sentence, down came neighbor into their bedroom ceiling. Not a word of a lie, covering the floor with Bora, Durban Bora. And he was stuck halfway in, neither here nor there, with his legs waggling in front of Sue and Roe. Sue was trying to push him back up. Roe was trying to pull him back down. He was swearing at the top of his lungs. His wife was alerted, and she was then swearing at us for allowing him to try and enter her house. We didn't know. And then we just sung, neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. I tell you, these, this question that we are asking in this series, what we're trying to get at here is that we are asking ourselves, what if the church got a revelation of who they were? And instead of running away from the darkness and, and walling ourselves in, we started charging into it. What if the church, instead of starting to build bigger walls to keep the evil out, started to bash a few down to let us out? We ask the question, what if we were the answer to the prayers that our neighbors and colleagues were praying today? What if we were the answer to those prayers? We also wanted to say, what, if, what would it be if, if we would become the best people our neighbors could have ever hoped to live next door to? We said, what, what could happen there? We started dreaming. And, and I, this morning, I'm, I aim just to whet your appetite a little bit, to launch us into the series in the coming weeks in life groups as we embark this Love Thy Neighborhood journey. But this morning, I've got two points and two points only. Not three, two. It's a new day. It's a new day here. But I've got two points, two imperatives that I really want to put deep in our hearts, and I pray they'll change the way we view our neighbors. They'll change the way we view ourselves and they'll change the way that we view what we've been called to. Is everyone okay for that? Give me a wave if you're right. Good. Participating. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. So the first point will come on the screen behind me, but there's this, is that you have more than enough. Taken from the text that we read, I love the story that Jesus, he gathers his 12 fresh-faced disciples. They're fresh-faced, they're inexperienced, they've got possibly, they're, or they're rough fishermen types and rough tax collector types. They've got a bit of alcohol in their breath, teenage angst and anger issues pulsating out of them. And they stumble into class that day. Excited about Jesus is going to do something amazing and we're going to take some cool Instagram pics with ourselves in the background saying, cool internship with Jesus. Because he's been doing a phenomenal things. They're so excited. But then Jesus turns the tables on them. And like the scripture we just read, he breaks into this brave heart-esque type speech. In a sense, he's saying to them, will you fight? And these boys looking around going, no, we will run. Us? And, and, and they start looking at each other and they say, Jesus, we, we're still trying to work out our notebooks here, what that water into wine thing was. 
We've been trying. Thomas has been trying at home. It's just not working. We haven't, got, we haven't worked it all out yet. Jesus, what's going on here? But I love this whole thing that that scripture tells us as Jesus spoke to them. He says, you don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. This morning, I want to remind us that Jesus is not looking for the qualified. He's looking for the available. Jesus has never dealt with the qualified. So much so there's a scripture that says that he chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And when I read that, I underline in my Bible and I said, me, <laughs> yay, because I am quite foolish if I'm being honest. There's a quick myth buster for you. We live in a world, and I think in the church in South Africa, where there's a myth that there's some that do the ministry and there's others who clap and applaud. Well done. So much so it filters into our language and we call some people the men of God. We need to go to the men of God, the man of God. Oh, very exciting. I wonder who he is. All of us. We are all the men of God. There's no, there's no divide. There's no sacred and secular that some do the full-time work and the others pay for it. We have to smash that mentality that there's the clergy and then there's the laity. There's those who are, are doing holy work and then the rest of us who have to do work that's just normal to earn money. All of it is holy to God. All of it is holy to God. And can I tell you, pastors, the parent men of God, if they are not, the Bible tells us that their job is not to perform and entertain a people and for them to go, wow, you are an amazing man of God. The preacher's job, the pastor's job is actually to this, to equip everyone else for works of service. So can I tell you this? If the church is gathering and is full, but the people aren't being mobilized and being equipped, failure of a church. Failure of a pastor. It's a tough job. It's a tough one. But I want to remind us, this is deep in who, are, who we are, that Jesus loves to use the whosoever's, the leftovers, the whatever's, the, the ones people forgotten. That is who Jesus loves to use. And I think it's time to uncuff the church. You see, the gospel isn't chained. The gospel is always working, always advancing. So the enemy then tries. He knows he can't get at that, so he'll try to handcuff the church. He'll try and hold us back. When in reality, I want to tell you, from the moment you and I were born, every single person here, when you were born and that first cry came out of your lungs for the first time, you can see I'm in the baby mode. I'm in the baby-making business anyway. It's what I do, you know, with my wife, guys. It's church. Why do you guys have to distract me, man? When you were born, the first cry came out your mouth. The social worker went, oh, another mouth to feed. The doctor went, wow, it's another ugly baby. Your mom said, oh, my word, does he really have to have that ready his whole life? Does he not come in blonde? But I want to tell you, at that moment, at that first cry, the father silenced all of heaven. And he leant in and he said, the plan has begun. The plan has begun. Every single person was born with the DNA and destiny of heaven burning inside of them. They'll never be satisfied with anything else. So much so, let me tell you this, I've said it before, but if you sing and you say, Gabe, I'm just a coffee barista. Maybe you sing and you say, Gabe, I'm just a teacher. Let me tell you, sir, ma'am, you're not just a coffee barista. You are a bean revivalist. tell you, as a teacher, every day you are setting up an outpost on the edge of hell for some schools more literally than figuratively. But this is who we are. Can I tell you that actually Jesus says in the scripture, he says, what you are to tell them is that the kingdom is here. 
Let me teach you a little bit about the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us the kingdom of God is not over there. It's not over here. He says it's at hand. Now, a lot of us, I think, think that the kingdom of God being at hand, we think linear timeline. It's coming closer. It's coming closer. No, can I tell you, it's not in a linear timeline thing. When he says the kingdom of God is at hand, he says it's within reach. Actually, so much so, he says it's within you. Do you know where the kingdom of God right now is? Within us. And when we get to understand that we have more than enough, wherever I go, the kingdom of God is. Wherever I put my, whenever I step into a, a place, the kingdom of God is there. And can I tell you the great news about the kingdom of God? It's not dependent on your performance. The kingdom of God is always advancing. The kingdom of God is always moving. It's just, are you aware of it? Let me tell you, when you pitch up for work on Monday and everyone else says, we're in for one hell of a week, you know it's just the place for you. Because you say, the church goes into the dark places and we bring the kingdom of God where we go. Yay, bring it on. Can I tell you the world lived for TGIF? TGIF every day. Oh, hump day, Wednesday. Oh, can we make it through on Friday? The, the, the world goes, yes! It's Friday, it's the weekend, baby. The problem, I think, is the church lived for TGIS. Thank God it's Sunday. Got to keep ourselves, I don't you know, and we crawl our way through the week. Just don't look at that. Don't talk to him. Just keep yourself pure. How are we going to make it through? Oh, I messed up. Sunday, thank goodness. When I believe what God wants to put inside of us is that when we understand that we have more than enough and we are called to carry the kingdom into dark places, we were the church would wake up going, T-G-I-M. That's game day. Thank God it's Monday. I think it's just a change of mentality. Back to our text very quickly. We see Jesus says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. Now, we're not saying that missions is not bad, but I think the problem with missions is it's reduced to there's a missionary who we pay to go do it, and we can sit and carry on here. Or sometimes it's far easier to go to a far away place and step over a dying body on your own doorstep to get there. Jesus goes on and says, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Let me tell you, it's easier to picket an abortion clinic than join the kids' ministry and build from the ground up doesn't cost you much to get a picket. It costs you a lot more to join something and build something. Let me tell you, it's easier to blog about a public enemy than to be vulnerable and fight a private battle in your own life and community. Just saying. Sometimes I think we get caught looking for the spectacular and we end up missing the supernatural in the everyday. People are waiting, longing for a miracle, longing for something big to happen. When Jesus says, every day there's opportunity, every day, because you're carrying the kingdom of God into dark places every day. I learned this lesson years ago, and I, I decided just to make this practical, if that's all right, that um, I would start to get this fabulous haircut. Not at the local Christian girl down the road, but actually I thought, I'm going to start going to the Muslim barbers. Because when they moved here and they set up their barbershop, I, be, I reckon that Satan didn't think that he were, they were going to get a pastor to become their friend. Satan's like, I didn't see that one coming. I'm like, ha ha, sucker, it's on you. And I started to go and I became friends with these guys, so much so that I've become friends and consistently not trying to preach, not to do some big public battle, but just to love them. Because I go where I go, the kingdom of God goes. 
And when I take, sit, take my seat in that thing to get my haircut, they don't understand what's happening. That they're engaging with the kingdom of God. And as I've started befriending them, they had a big issue happened. And one of them went and splintered off because they fought. And he went to start his own business in Bortisic. And, and there was a huge pain in his heart. Can I tell you what that guy did? One day, that guy drove into this car park crying, saying, Gabe, I need to talk to you. I'm like, I've never even preached to him, never said anything, never even had a big discourse about the similarities or differences between our religions. Just been there. But he knew something was different. I go, when we start to understand this sort of mindset, we start that what we carry, that we have more than enough, the world starts to change. Because we very quickly disqualify ourselves. Can I tell you a good news? Is that you did not trick Jesus on your entrance exam. I think about that sometimes. I look at my life and I go, how did I get into this thing? Because I know I'm a rich, I'm a failure, I'm lazy, I'm apathetic. But I look around and I go, no, I didn't trick him. He didn't make a mistake. Can I tell you the good news? He chose you. You didn't choose this gig. He chose you and he put his kingdom. He's invested heavily and he's not backing away. He's for us. So freeing. So the first point is that you have more than enough. The second point is this. So get going. So get going. I want to tell you what I'm learning and God is doing inside me is that you and I were made for conquest. You and I were made for advancement. We were made for moving forward. I really believe that the most dangerous place for a Christian is comfort, safety, and preservation. The most dangerous place. You and I were invested with the kingdom of God. And when we are sitting in neutral and apathy and not moving and being aware of what God's put in us, can I tell you, it's a dangerous place for a Christian. I've shared this many times, but God has really revealed to me that actually, that if you linger in neutral gear, eventually you'll start going backwards. My friend lent me his Honda Civic when I was 19 years old. It had blue lights and all. And uh, he lent it to me for a couple of weeks and I, when he went away, and I thought I was the coolest guy in the street. I went up and down, arm out the window, driving with one hand like this in Durban's Hills, up and down, loving it. Absolutely loving, making sure everyone would check me in the Honda Civic with the blue lights. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And one day I remember pulling up to my house, pulled the handbrake up, walked away, walked in, and my kind of swinging the keys on my finger, just knowing I've got a little bit of a bounce in my step. And my cousin came out and he said, How did you get here? I said, Hey, I came in the Civic. And he was like, What Civic? And my heart stopped. And I turned around, and to be fair, I left in neutral, and to be honest with you very quickly, it was creeping down the hill. But for dramatic sake, it was screaming down the hill at full pace about a crash and explodes the, at the wall at the bottom. So I started with the eye of the tiger in my head to run. And I opened the door, d- dived in, pushed it in gear, and made sure we stopped it inches before it exploded. Some people call me the Chuck Norris of Larch Road. But anyway, I digress. What I learned at that moment is that things in neutral always go backwards. We were made for conquest. We were made for advancement. We were made for taking this thing out. Joshua 1 says this, and it's a scripture you've seen it maybe on coffee mugs. If you've been, been around in Christian homes, they put it on a coffee cup or on a little sticker they put on their bumper. You know, it says, wherever you place your foot, I will give you that land. Oh, amen. Preach it. Good word. Can I tell you this thing, though? You'll never get land just proclaiming it. The Bible says, wherever you place your foot, I'll give it to you. So can I tell you the onus is this? 
Go somewhere. Do something. Step out. And he said, I will provide. Too many people, oh, when God moves, then I'll move. He said, I have. I've given you my kingdom. Use it. I think too many times we, we sit in meetings, and I am guilty of this. We're saying, God, give us the Holy Spirit. And I feel God saying, I want you, but what will you use him for? Because you're doing nothing that needs him. There's a story that we know well at this church. There's a man that joined this church that's, that's actually done so much inside of me. About a year and a half, two years ago, possibly more, a man named Gary Day. He was a divorced man. He was a man who hadn't seen his kids for over a decade. He had become a recluse who just went to work, and they went to the sports bar at night. But I want to tell you this incredible story has a good ending because a lady in this church moved next door to him. The enemy thought they had this man. They had, had him crushed, had him shriveling. But God said, I've got a different plan. I'm going to put somebody who's going to move in next door to him who carries the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, this lady befriended him. She looked after him. She brought him to church where little by little God started to work. I had the privilege of seeing Gary Day give his life to Christ. I saw Gary Day get baptized in this very hall. And then I saw him start the process of reconciling with his kids after a decade of being absent. I remember the phone call when I was, in, I was actually at the waterfront, V&A waterfront, where I got a phone call one Friday afternoon where Gary Day told me that actually his son had just phoned him and said, Dad, we want, can I have a bride with you tomorrow morning? And I remember bursting into tears and just crying with Gary because the, the excitement and the fear, like how could this ever have been possible? Let me tell you, Gary Day saw his kids, started the reconciling efforts, and just over three weeks later, Gary had a heart attack and died. Something in me grips my heart when I think of that man. It, it motivates me. And we're not, a, we're not a church who, who say, we must go because there's a big cause. We say, we must go because we carry something so great. We carry something so great, so, so treasure, so beautiful. And something that's so inside of me that I, I love is there's a story of uh, the Titanic. Everyone, everyone remember that movie? My heart will go on. King of the world. You've got Leonardo DiCaprio. Everyone there? Got it? Yeah, good, good. Just checking. Sorry. Just making sure. But before it was a cinematic extravaganza that took the world by storm. It was a real story, believe it or not. Oh, I know. It's terrible. Wikipedia afterwards. Um, but this Titanic, that night, on that fateful night when it hit the iceberg and, and plunged into the depths of the ocean, let me tell you that, do you know that history books record that there was actually another ship just over the horizon called the Californian that had enough room on board for nearly every single person on the Titanic to survive? Let me tell you that story is that that night, the Californian, the captain of the Californian was at sleep. And just over the horizon as the Titanic, the drama started to go, the band started to play, and the, the ship started to descend into the depths. The Titanic led off a distress flare into the, this night sky. And the man on the board of the Californian saw it and ran and woke up the captain. He said, Captain, Captain, distress signals over yonder. And he said to them, how many, time, how many minutes apart are they? He says, about 10 minutes apart says, wake me up when they're five minutes apart. And he turned over, went back to sleep. The, the strict signal started to go up and get more and more rapid. And the captain on board, the man on board went to the captain. He said, captain, captain, the distress signals, they, they're quicker. They're going, they're more than five minutes apart. Now they, this, we have to do something. The captain said, what company are they? What color are they? 
And, uh, and the man said, they're white. He says, they're not of our company. And the captain turned over and went back to sleep and carried on their way as the Titanic went down into the depths of the ocean, killing everyone on board except Rose, apparently. <laughs> I believe, and this is not profound, this is not well thought through, this is just a burning heart leading us into the series where we're going to take a look at Jesus interacting with different people in the Gospels and the different things that we are called not just to respond to for ourselves, but respond to for others. But I believe in something called dirty theology. And no, it's not some new heretical type of teaching. I believe it's theology that has flesh and blood, mud and dirt on it. The brokenness of this world. Because I, I think before we take on this call of love thy neighborhood, we have to understand that Jesus moved into our neighborhood. That we serve, in John chapter 1, it actually says that, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He moved into the neighborhood. He left the comfort of heaven to come and engage with us, broken humanity. He wasn't afraid of our sin. He wasn't afraid of our mess. He wasn't anxious and nervous. He came boldly because he knew that he was more than enough, so he had to go. And because of that, we have the same call today. But I believe to this morning that this starts not with our hands, it starts with our hearts. Because that when Jesus gets our hearts, he'll have our hands easily. So I'm wanting to pray for us before we can take this neighborhood, before we can go and, and take on the public enemy, and, and before we just go into what God is calling us to, I pray that we're going to hand over the keys metaphorically to the neighborhood of our heart, to him. Say, Jesus, you actually, I don't do this because it's a requirement. I don't do this because this is groupthink, and we're all in this together. No, I do this because I've seen you. And you have my heart. Where else can I go? What else can I do? Can I pray for us? If you just close your eyes, I want to pray and I ask you just to respond to you. Say, Jesus, would you do a heart change in me? I'm the first one who puts my hand up. I don't preach this because I've got a, a great track record. I promise you I don't. I have to preach it to remind myself again and again what Jesus called me to. But Jesus moved into our neighborhood. He put on our flesh and blood. He did not fear our mess. He took on himself the full curse of hell. He broke the back of death. He snapped the bony finger of the law. And he put us in the full blessing of heaven. He took those who were out and he brought them in. He put, took those who were far and he brought them close. He took those who were dead and he made them alive. This is what Jesus wants to do inside of you and I. Ongoingly. Father, I pray right now for every single heart here as we embark on this journey to love thy neighborhood. We don't do it because it's a catchy campaign. We don't do it because that's the in thing to do. I pray, God, would you awaken our hearts to the great story that you have for us. Remind us that we have more than enough. Therefore, we must go. I thank you, Jesus, that you're doing deep things in our hearts so we can be a beautiful people, the city on the hill shining brightly for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.